Welcome to the DevOps Mastery Podcast. We're here to get you from where you are today to being a DevOps master by helping you cut the learning curve down into manageable pieces. So without any further delay, let's get going. Now, where did I put that machete? Hello and welcome to another edition of the DevOps Mastery Podcast. My name is Brian Wagner. And my co-host is again missing for another week. Sorry about that. Hopefully he'll be back next week. And, uh, well, until then, you're going to have to enjoy my my comedy. It's not really as funny. But anyways, automated deployments and automated build and continuous integration, continuous deployment. Yeah, all those things. Those are the tools that we're going to be talking about this week. And uh, before we get there, though, let's remind you that uh, we don't really put any ads in here and we're not trying to charge anybody for anything. So the only feedback that we get is feedback from you guys. So give us your feedback. Doesn't make any sense, I guess. Anyways, feedback at devopsmastery.com is the way you can email us. You can follow us on the Twitters and uh, give us your comments there at twitter.com slash devopsmaster. And, of course, we're on the plus.google.com at plus.devopsmastery page on, uh, yeah, on Google+. Plus. Anyways. Let's move on. Let's get back to the topic of the day because it's thrilling and it's exciting and it's really a lot of work to implement, but but it's really thrilling and exciting once it actually works. We're talking about automated deployment, automated build, continuous integration, continuous deployment. These tools can all be used in several different ways. I'm calling them automated deployment and automated build tools only because you need to have that basic idea down and then you can figure out how to do things like continuous integration and continuous deployment. Um, both of those concepts are the kind of penultimate and where you're trying to get to. That is the ultimate goal if you're a DevOps company. If that's where you're trying to go, you want to get to continuous integration first, and then once you're comfortable and confident, then you want to go to continuous deployment, and you want to be like Etsy and Google and Netflix, and you want to deploy 20, 30, 40 times a day, right? Sure you do. That's what everybody wants to do, right? Because you want to make change, and you want to be agile. Okay, maybe not. But even if you only want to deploy once or twice a week, this type of process is definitely going to help you get there, and it's going to make you much more efficient at doing it. So before you can even evaluate these tools, though, I will warn you, it's best to have a process that you know and a process that you have documented so that you can figure out what of these tools and where these tools are fitting in and when you're when you're evaluating them and you can look at them and say this tool is going to work best for our company and that's why we're choosing it and here's the reasons if you don't really understand your deployment process or in a lot of situations that I've come into when I've been asked to help with this the situation isn't that everybody doesn't understand the process it's that the process is spread across I don't know 5 or 10 people so there's one person who writes the configuration for the application. There's one person who builds the jar file for the web app. There's one person who configures the web server. And you have all these different parts, and we could keep going through the whole list we're going to, and all these different parts, and they're all separate, and they all do different unique things, and they're great, and they're wonderful. But there's no one person who understands and, and how everything goes from one end to the other. Doing things that are a little more complex, like building a jar file, you know, somebody like a developer who spends all their days doing that is probably best at, 
But understanding that process from an operations side, it's not that complicated. You can generally get through it, just like we're going to ask them later to get through understanding how a web server gets configured to talk to an app server. You know, you need all those parts together, and that's a big part of this whole DevOps thing that we're trying to do and what we're trying to describe in DevOps. We want everybody working together. We want everybody to understand a little bit about what the other person does. And this part is a great starting point to try to try to build out that communications, right? It's the part where we explain this part is how you build this part. And this script is how you build this part. And then these all things come together and voila, we have an application. Hopefully that works. Maybe most of the time. But even if it doesn't work, if you've done stuff like integrated it to run your tests and do the other stuff, you know it doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work really quickly. So these tools can be such a great help with that. But as with all the tools that we've talked about, there's a whole lot of it depends when the requirements are, are coming down. Um, you need to take a very disciplined approach when you're choosing this and don't jump too quickly. It's not to say not to pilot a few of these tools, maybe. That might make sense. Depends on how big your company is and how much time you have. Uh, most people aren't given enough time to test more than one or two, so you know, keep that in mind when you're trying to narrow down your decisions. But if it's possible, it's always better to have a tool that somebody else manages. That's just kind of a general philosophy and a pretty human instinct way to go. So to do that, you want to look at, do you need to host the tool yourself, or can you actually use one of the many PaaS environments or platforms as a service out there, or software as a service, in the case of tools like Travis CI? Um, Travis CI is a wonderful tool, and there's a lot of open source projects using it, and there's a lot of companies using it. Uh, it'll let you scale, and then the cost of the tool and the infrastructure scales as your company grows. You, you've got a much smaller build because at the beginning because you're doing much fewer builds, but as you get bigger and you get more people, your build's going to raise and, and increase, and you need to think about that because you don't want to surprise yourself with, with that and how much that's going with. Um, if you're an established company, though, with a lot of existing applications, that cost could be pretty prohibitive to try to stand up a, a platform as a service or something out there. Or there may be regulatory reasons why you can't go to an outside so source like a Travis CI. So in those cases, then you have to choose something internally and you're going to have to build your own build environment and test environment. And that's okay. There's plenty of great tools and they're not that hard to stand up. Again, as long as you understand what your process is, that goes a long ways towards making it easier to set up these tools. So, how are you going to test your application or your infrastructure as part of this process? It's a question that you need to answer kind of quickly, but you don't have to have the full answer. You can just say really nebulous things like, we're going to run Chef, or we're going to run Puppet, and we're going to let Puppet, Puppet do that, or we're going to run Fabric, and we're going to write Fabric scripts to do this. That's all that you really need to define before you start adding it as a tool requirement. And you may change it depending on what tool you, you know, if one tool seems to be really running away with the race, then maybe you change the way you're going to manage your, your environment if it doesn't hook into that tool. That being said, it's pretty rare for the tools not to support most of the major uh, configuration management systems and things like Java build systems like Ant and Maven. So... Some testing tools are better than others that interoperating to. So if you're looking at it from a code testing tool perspective, some things may work better than others. In some cases, most notably um, PaaS, it may not be an option to try to connect to one or more of the pieces of infrastructure in your test environment. So you need to make sure that everybody's okay with mocking that out or doing something called monkey patching. Uh, however, you're going to handle the fact that that 
infrastructure may not may or may not be available in a testing form outside of your network if you're going to go with PaaS or something else. I mean, it's not unusual to have a vendor-based requirement where the vendor is providing you some level of feedback that you need to use in your business process. And that vendor, and, and I don't know why they're still this way, but a lot of these vendors still don't have deep enough testing support for you to be able to test everything that you, you need and should test before you go to your next versions. So you have to figure out, you know, when you're looking at your testing requirements, how are you going to handle all of these different things? Um, the next thing that you need to look at with these build-in automation tools, build automation tools, deployment tools, is does it have a hook into your version control system of choice? Like we talked about in the last one, uh, you need to kind of make sure all the tools are going to play well together. Uh, will it adequately support it? It doesn't even necessarily have to do 100% support, but does it at least support it enough so that you can pull the code from the current version, detect that the new version's there? Uh, maybe you have to do polling instead of it having some kind of hook into the repository control system that'll actually push it, like Git will. Um, it probably won't be a huge showstopper, but it definitely will be beneficial to look at that. Um, again, though, too, you also need to remember when you're looking at these tools, where is your code stored? So if you're going to use a PaaS and your code's going to be stored inside your firewall and you're not going to open up the firewall, then you're going to have to do something else with your code to get it so that the, the platform as a service or infrastructure as a service can actually access it and use it. The next part is how much workflow do you need? So what do I mean by workflow? Workflow in this particular sense is pretty much the most basic, simple workflow you can think of. I need to do A, then I need to do B, then I need to do C. Uh, where it gets tricky is, is well, after I do A, I want to make sure I do test 1, 2, and 3, and then I do B, and then I want to do 4, 5, and 6, and then I want to do C, and then we're going to split out, and we're going to do 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all at the same time. And then we're going to come back in, and if any of those failed, then we have to stop the build and declare the build a failure, and or the deployment a failure, if it's a deployment, it's at a deployment step, whatever that is. Fully orchestrating all of this can get really complex. Most of these tools have some way to do that, or some integration to do that. Some of them are just better at it than others. Travis CI is a pretty good one. Jenkins and Hudson are both good choices. They also have very deep integration. But that's not to say that for pay tools like Urban Code don't have excellent things too. I built my entire system at, at my last job when we did all of the WebSphere automation. It was all built on Urban Code. So there was no problems with doing any of that stuff. Uh, don't get hung up on the tools too when you're doing this. Um, are you doing something more common like using Chef or Puppet? Or are you going to do a, a real tough man's approach and write bash scripts or Python scripts to do all of your configurations. Maybe that's the best way for you. But make sure that you've taken those into account when you're looking at it. What types of uh, mechanisms do you have for APIs to uh, automatically deploy things and, and discuss that? Next, what kinds of reportings do you need? This is one that often gets overlooked when you're doing the initial looks because you don't really think about well, what do we need to report on and how do we need to report it. It's generally a question that you need to ask management to see what their thoughts are. But make sure that they're not just thinking about today, but kind of give them some of the options based on what you've seen from what the tools can provide and say, here are some of the things that we think we should be able to provide. Which ones do you prioritize? Which ones are a must-have? And if they're a must-have, you have to make sure that your tool can do it. The good news is, is most of the tools can do a pretty decent job, or they can give you ways to hook in to, to produce your own ports. Next, 
how much does the tool do out the box versus needs to be developed by us, or in your case, you, to handle what you're trying to do? Most of the tools rely on at least some level of development to make the system meet all of your needs. This is generally in the form of a wrapper script here, a shell script there. Um, definitely going to need some integration with your testing suite, whatever that testing suite should be. And um, some tools may require you to write Ruby, Java, Python, something similar to just get that last little bit of functionality that you're looking for. Maybe it's part of the reporting requirements. Maybe it's how you interface with things like Ruby, um, the Ruby gem management system or the Python pip system, whatever that is. You may have to write specific things because it doesn't have that specific language supported or at least supported to the level that you need it to be. One of the things I will tell you is that once you've narrowed your choices down, you need to do a pilot with at least your top one, and I would recommend doing it with your top two choices. The pilot should be very limited with an app, maybe two. You, if possible, want to do the same pilot apps on both pilot systems if you're doing two of them so that you can compare apples to apples. Um, remember that what sounds great on a website and could be all marketing hype, and it may not match reality in any way, shape, or form, but some of the companies actually undersell what they can what they can accomplish and what can be done. They um, generally it's more of the open source projects that that struggle with this because they just don't have good copywriters that can explain what all the tools are, what all their tool can do. And it's in your pilot phase that you're going to be able to uh, narrow this down and and flush out what exactly it is the projects are offering you or the products are offering you and how best to do that. Another thing that people very often forget, and this is my last item on this list, is that uh, you need to look at whether or not you need something like role-based access control. So role-based access control comes in in certain companies because only certain people are allowed to push to certain environments. It has to do with the separations of duties, and this is a security thing um, most often, and it is because you need to have people separate but able to do the same basic thing. So your developers may have rights to push to the development environment, but the testers don't want you pushing anything until they've approved that you've hit the milestones they think you need to hit before they're going to let you mess up their test environment with their new code, and then they'll push your new code over. They'll probably check it in dev first to make sure that it does look like everything's fixed. Uh, that's just one small example. There could be other things where there needs to be a specific person signing off and saying, I am the change manager, I bless this build, it should go forth and prosper, and boom, and they push the button because the next phase. That's all part of role-based access control. Those are the things that when you're looking at, at different features and, and you're looking to talk about those different things, role-based access control generally works pretty tightly with workflows, and uh, that's part of what you need to make sure everybody understands what the ground rules are and make sure that you understand where to go with this and, and where to try to pull information for this stuff. Boy, if that makes sense. Anyways, role-based access control. It limits who and what can do everything. Differing, very, very differing levels of, of options on the tools, so make sure that you pay very close attention to that if that's something that you must have. To get you started, I have three things I'd like you to go look at, three examples. By no means is this a complete list. This is not even my top ten, and yeah, I'm only giving you three. I could probably list off ten that I really like. These are the top three that I think you should look at first. And then from there, type in stuff like, well, my first one's Travis CI. Travis CI, VS, 
and then hit enter in Google and see what people are comparing Travis CI to, and maybe you'll find another tool that you want to look at. So Travis CI is the first one, and that's because it's super cool because it's cloud-based and it's uh, free for PLOS projects. Uh, Travis CI has a bunch of integrations with some other stuff. There is a, uh, if you're a company, there is a, a for-pay service that Travis CI uses. Same technology, it's just that if you're a company, they ask you to pay for it, and they give you more builds, basically, based on how. So you only get so many builds for the free one, and you get a whole lot more with the for-pay ones. Is probably as many as you want, if you're willing to pay them. The next one I'm going to recommend is Jenkins. Jenkins is probably the one next to my last choice, which is Urban Codes and Home Pro. Jenkins is probably the one I have the most non-work-related experience with. So when I wasn't doing this for a job, I played the most with Jenkins. Jenkins is extremely powerful, but it requires in a lot, and I mean a lot, of upfront setup and configuration. It shouldn't intimidate you or scare you or anything. It's all easy stuff. It's just a lot of steps, and there's just a lot of little things that you have to think about to do. Once you get it set up, though, it's been my experience that Jenkins is pretty rock solid. I have some fake builds running that I built that, until I shut them off, ran for literally years every day. It would assume that there was something changed in the repository, and it would build new stuff, just because I wanted to see if it would work and how easy it worked. And it worked pretty easy. The last one I'm going to talk about is Urban Codes. Urban Code is the only one of these three uh, that is a closed source solution. Actually, I'm pretty sure Travis CI is probably closed source. Do not think about it, so that's a bad idea. But um, Urban Codes Anhill Pro is a closed source option uh, built by a team right here in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, it was recently acquired in the last couple of years by IBM. And this tool has a lot of integration and features for the uh, the workflow part of what I was talking about. It has a lot of workflow features. The workflow is actually really easy to in implement and integrate with what you're doing. It includes a pretty complete role-based access control system. So if you're an enterprise who needs those things and, and has serious requirements about it, definitely take a look at this. Um, Jenkins and Anhill Pro will both integrate with your LDAP directories, whether that's Active Directory or OpenLDAP. So you can use those to manage user accounts. Uh, that's probably something I haven't mentioned much in the other tools. This particular tool and uh, the other tool, the repository management type tools, those are very critical that you get hooked into some type of revision, or I'm sorry, some type of LDAP or user repository of some sorts that is centrally managed because you want to make sure that those tools can't be exploited if you fire somebody. So you don't want them to know if you have to lay a bunch of people off, if somebody gets upset because they're getting laid off, which is understandable. Um, you don't want to, you want to be able to lock them out so that they can't inflict any damage on you, which would cause you to have to be even meaner and do something like, you know, sue them or go after them for something that they did because they were ticked off, you know, del deleting entire histories or revisions or something. So using these tools with, with role-based access control and a centralized repository is definitely the way to go if you can get it all set up. Again, setting up that integration for both Urban Code and Jenkins was pretty simple. As long as you understand how to configure Java applications, uh, in both cases, these are both Java applications. Java applications with LDAP, um, it's not that hard. You just have to tell it what groups and who has access. And then when you set up your builds and your deployments, you tell it what groups they have access to, to it and all that good stuff. So that does it for this week. But once again, let me remind you, please give me your feedback. Let me know what you think. Tell me how desperately you want the comedy musings of uh, Jason, or if you don't want Jason back, that's fine. You can tell me that too. But feedback at devopsmastery.com. You can follow us on the Twitters at twitter.com slash devopsmaster. 
And you can follow us on Google Plus at plus.google.com slash plus DevOps Mastery page. Everybody have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the DevOps Mastery Podcast. We really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to listen to what we have to say about DevOps. All of the content in this podcast is copywritten by Brian Wagner, his co-hosts and guests, and of course, DevOpsMastery.com. The music that you're hearing right now and you heard in the intro is copyrighted by Daryl Allen. And again, we look forward to hearing from you, so don't forget to send us some feedback at feedback at DevOpsMastery.com. Have a nice week, everybody.